Welcome to the Original Doll. I am your host, James Rodriguez, on the Original Doll iconography. I unpackage music with the people who create it, the people who are there, and at the same time, we give back to charity. So for more information, go to theoriginaldoll.com. Big shout out to my Patreon patrons. Thank you. You all rock. Because of you, we can keep going. And as with every episode of the Original Doll, any audio recording ripping stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you see anything leaked, please report it. And if you see anyone utilizing any of the information without sourcing, please let them know. Now, today we're going to be continuing our conversation about, as you just heard, Britney Spears' cover of I'll Never Stop Loving You. We're going to talk with Steve Lunch, who was Britney Spears' A&R guy. He was the architect, the engineer. He was there from the developing, the signing of Britney Spears, and worked with her on putting together the first four studio albums and the compilation album and some projects after. But we're going to get right to it. And once again, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening and... If you haven't checked out all the episodes, go back through and make sure that you rate, review, and click follow. My name is James Rodriguez. This is the Original Doll Iconography. The Original Steve, thank you so much for being here today on the original doll. That's here again. This song was released about two years, two and a half years before Britney Spears covered it. So it wasn't a cover that was from 30 plus 40 years ago. So it's kind of interesting that it was still in that that time frame of teens singing the songs about love. So today we are going to talk about Britney Spears' song, I'll Never Stop Loving You and the history behind it. So Steve, let's rewind back. Before we start with that, can you let the listeners know on a debut album, how does an artist benefit or how does an album benefit from putting a cover on the album? Why not do 100% you know, original songs all the way through? How does doing a cover help an artist? Well, um in this case, I mean, I don't think it helped. It didn't make any difference one way or the other because Britney's potential audience um, weren't really aware of the of the original version, version, which is by a young black kid called Jason, J apostrophe S O N. If anyone wants to look it up, <laughs> excuse me. And um, and I don't know how much of a hit it was. I really wasn't that aware of it until until. I came across it somehow. I don't know, but it wasn't like it was on my mind saying, Oh, we should do a cover of that. Um, like I did with, um, you got it all with the jets in this case, it didn't really make any difference. So, and why would an artist record a cover in this case? Because I just thought the song suited Brittany. It was on her first album. In fact, it was the first song we recorded when we went over to Sweden for the, uh, baby one more time recordings. Um, so it was one of those songs and we were still, not searching for the direction, but we the direction hadn't been sort of really narrowed down yet, um, and um, and we, you know, it, it just felt like a good song for her to do. Um, there was nothing in the history of the song that that, that made it jump out to say, "Yeah, got to do that," you know. Well, and the cool thing is when, you know, for those listeners, and I'm going to be playing both versions of this song, and actually, Jason's has two different versions that were released to radio. 
what I love is learning about why these songs are picked. The interesting thing is from our first conversation, when I learned that I'll Never Stop Loving You was the first song she recorded in Sweden. I was like, what? During that week of like Born to Make You Happy, Crazy Baby, all this stuff. I was like, wait, this was the first song that was recorded. And as a fan of Britney and all that music and all the, the listeners that are, it's crazy to think this was done like that same week. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, locally, yeah. that's where she was at. It's gonna take more than a lifetime. What makes this song differently than most other songs we've even talked about is you have a female artist covering a male artist. So can we talk a little bit about since you're recording artist and musician, you get these things, you understand production. How did Jason's version differ from Britney's version? What were some similarities? How did things have to change when you have somebody of the opposite sex recording it? Well, I'll take a step back from that just a little bit to say how, um, um, what I was thinking when we, when I first heard the Jason version yep. of it and thought that it might be good for Britney, because although it was a male singing it, um, <clears throat> I, I heard it and I, I kind of, I liked it in a young, youthful, female way. In the same way, do you remember a song by Selena called "Dreaming of You"? Mm -hmm. It was a. It was, I think, Selena. The was she Mexican? I can't yep, remember. Mexican, she, South American. In, in, she was Mexican. Yeah. Um, and um, and she was a, a huge star at the time. And this was her first really American breakthrough song, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. and it had a sort of a similar sort of feel. And um, coincidentally, um. The song was actually written originally for the Jets. I found out today when I looked it up, like Dreaming of You. So the, so it kind of goes the full circle because the first song I had Britney cover was a Jets song. Anyway, so yeah, so when I heard it. It all goes and, back to the Jets. I love it. I love it. Yes. <laughs> um, so when I heard that, and if you want to listen to that at some point, you can see how it's got a similar type of vibe to it. Um, and I wanted to keep that and the Jason version had that but as you said it was a it was a male singer and uh it was in the wrong key for britney obviously so to convince myself that we were making the right choice of song for her um i got in touch with jason bloom uh one of the writers of the song and i said can you pitch that song this is in the early days of, of, of being able to change pitches <laughs> and things you know with um with pro tools and everything but i said um uh, the Jason version is in B flat, and I need this pitched up to C, which is a whole step, two semitones. It's a whole step up, um, so that Britney could feel comfortable singing it. Not too high. That C wouldn't be too high, wouldn't be too low. It'd be right you know, in that sweet spot. So, um, so he did that, and he got it to me. And um, I can't remember exactly how we did it, but we tried a vocal out on it. It might have just have been her singing to me in the office. I, I don't know. I can't remember, to be honest. Um, but then when we decided, okay, this is going to work, then obviously just a couple of changes of lyrics because it's, you know, boy, girl. I don't know exactly how many. It might be generic song. I don't mm -hmm. know. And it's, and it's a love appeal. It might not mention gender, you know, at all. But yeah, and, I, and then we decided i think clive Calder and myself the, the head of jive records i think we decided that aaron david that the two guys that work part of the here on team in sweden with uh, max, max martin and his crew that they should uh that they should produce this because they just had that sort of soft sort of feel 
you know, like that, that would work, that sort of tender sort of love song, young teen mm-hmm. love song. Yeah, and that's how that's how we chose it. Well, I think what's interesting is this is nowadays I can press a button and go, okay, bring this up a step or bring this up, you know, and, but then it's trying to figure it out. And also you're not sending these digital files quickly over the internet, (laughs) you know, like this is not the case there. The amount of times people have said, oh, this was on cassette or this was on CD or CDR where technology was changing so much, especially during, during this time of even Britney, you know, coming out and debuting. And what I think is interesting is how many people, us non-musicians can listen and go, Oh, it sounds, it sounds like exactly the same. They must've just taken the vocals out. But then when you dive deeper and go, no, there's all sorts of orchestration and everything under there that tells you what key we're singing this, that tells you all of those things and I've seen people try to create their own Britney version, you know, say it's like a Britney demo. All they did was take out Jason's vocals and add Britney's on there. And it's like, that's not, that's not the way it works. No, no the track is different. It's a totally, it's a, the track was re-recorded from scratch. Otherwise we would, if we took the original um, crack and just had Britney sing over it, then there'd be different producers on it. It wouldn't be a Perrin David production. It would uh, be whoever did the Jason record. And the other thing is we talk about tone and pitch is when people think, oh, Britney Spears had that ability to sing super low. Like if that was the case, she could have done Jason's. And that's where the ear also people are like, wait, but Jason sings so high. Why can't they just hear these things? And it's like we talk about tone just because he sounds high doesn't mean it's going high for a woman. Just because it's low doesn't mean it's actually low. And I also wonder then for you. As somebody who's helping developing that sound, developing her, would it have been different had Britney Spears been a guy or a boy, let's say, at that time, where their voice might still be changing? Are those things that somebody might have to consider when they're figuring out music? Like, is that something that you would really only have to deal with? Like, Aaron Carter is going through, you know what I mean? Is is going through yeah, puberty. Yeah. Is he going to be able to sing the song or do we have to kind of lowered a little bit for him right those considerations you have to think of like yeah definitely i mean in uh in aaron's case i mean you know the songs that he was singing when we made the first album with him i mean his voice wasn't broken it was like still a you know still a young a young boy's voice and then the older he got you know the the deeper he got and uh you know he'd have to sing and uh we'd have to change the keys for songs and everything because he couldn't sing happily like this anymore Mm -hmm. um but you're right. People get confused between tone and uh, and you know tuning pitch um, because pitch is when you're singing up here like this and when you're like this. That's the difference in pitch. But a difference in tone is like you can sing like this. I can sing like this. It's still the same. Still the same. Those two are still the same notes, although badly um, executed right <laughs> there. But but they're the same. It's that's just a difference in a tone. So um, you know. So when people say why didn't you know why in Britain, you know, she's singing in this baby voice. She used to sing deeper. No, she just changed the tone, and she couldn't sing in that sort of Broadway way. When we got her, she didn't sing like that. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is, when we think about the vocals from 1998, you know, we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of, you know, this whole development, this the single of "Baby One More Time." That it is interesting to go back through and take a glance at all these different songs and the evolution of her because 
the evolution of Britney singing You Got It All, let's say from the demo form to the re-recording for kind of that Oops album, you, as me, as a fan and hearing those versions, I'm like, ooh, her, there was growth in there. Now, it wasn't like she went from not being able to sing to being able to sing. No, she she knew how to sing. But what I thought was interesting is I felt like there was more emotion. The older she gets, I feel like the more she connected with that that music. So right. let, let's talk a little bit about the production of Jason's I'll Never Stop Loving You. Because they did something that happened, I'd say, fairly regular for a lot of artists where they'll do like the pop version or like the mainstream version and then the R&B version. So first things first, how would an artist benefit from doing an album version versus like the R&B version? And especially in this case with the R&B version and the album version, what sort of things change from their production wise? The album, the pop version, which is obviously what they were kind of going for initially was, was that pop market with a young, you know, um, black artist very kind of squeaky clean, you know, young teen artist. And, um, uh, and that was aimed and that, but that, that wasn't sort of urban enough for the, for the, um, black radio stations. So, Mm -hmm. but he was a black artist. So the idea was, okay, let's see if we can get this a little bit more, um, get the track a little bit more R and B. It's still the same vocal on both songs on the, you know, they just, they just, stripped the music away and and re-recorded the music underneath the mm-hmm. uh, underneath his original vocal mm-hmm. and um and when i heard it um so i hadn't heard it before before you sent it to me for for review and um and it's weird because i think if i had heard that version first i might not have recorded it with britney um mm-hmm. if i'd heard the r&b remix first because it didn't have the um the right sentiment to it uh, musically mm. that I was really looking for for Britney. Um, the the his original version of it and Britney's it's got like this like an anthemic quality uh, to, to the uh, to the music. Um, kind of a statement, you know. I'll never stop loving you. It's quite a strong theme um, statement, and it has a bit of sort of an anthemic feel to it, um, sort of romantic in that way. And I think that the the, the Jason R and B version, they kind of make it. They kind of made it soft adult R and B song. They were never going to make it a hard, you know, mm-hmm. hard R and B song. It's never going to be that because the song isn't written that way and his vocal wasn't like that. So they tried to turn it into sort of kind of an adult song, you know, with a soft and a, the groove is different. It's a bit more of an R and B groove in there, um, and they sort of you know changed up some of the chords to make them a bit more urban. But in the process, mm-hmm. they made it more adult. And I just think that those were kind of going and fighting against what I was looking for for Britney. I mean, right from the intro, if you compare the two, you'll hear it straight away. I, I don't know if you'll be able to play mm-hmm. that for your listeners, but the intro to the to the uh, R&B version is, is kind of totally different from, from Britney's one. It doesn't start off with that. There's a great sort of anthemic type of melodic keyboard thing in the beginning of Britney's, which, which I don't think exists in the... Uh, in the R&B version by Jason.
thought was you know as as the listeners i actually have the cd singles live jason's album for those who follow me on any of the socials you'll see i i still have many of the cds the vinyl cassettes that i had from like back in the day what i remember thinking is when i got the single i didn't like the remix at all i thought it felt detached and it felt like somebody was trying to force something and this that was the part where there were several artists out there on different labels that they were like, okay, we're going to do the R and B version or we're going to do the dance version. All they did was take the vocals and just plop it on a different production. Mm-hmm. I loved with Mariah Carey, when she redid her remixes, she redid the vocals Savage Garden. When Britney right. did born to make you happy and crazy, those remixes loved that because it gave me something else to listen to, right. to kind of right. match that up. And I remember Darren Hayes said something to the effect of like, you're going to mess up vocals if you keep trying to adjust it up and do this. And if it's too slow, it's going to just sound weird. He's like, create the production and I'll sing it, uh, keeping in in right. rhythm with that. So yeah. I, I think I see the benefit of them trying to break him in several markets because before him, I remember... And I looked up articles. They were like, oh, he's the new Tevin Campbell. Tevin Campbell. And I loved Tevin Campbell when right. he came out. But <laughs> the song was so cute. But at the time, when you're competing against, you know, Gangsta's Paradise or Bone Thugs and Harmony on radio, this song, the remix one, did not help. It was no Casey and JoJo. It was no Joe. It was no even later Nivea or any of these people. So... I think they tried. I don't know if it did what they wanted to because the radio did not react that way. For the well, yeah, I mean, one. And, oh. and you can understand like why why it didn't really react because the way that they had to go with that song was by making it adult sounding. But then there was this very young, cutesy voice on top. So people were listening to adult R and B radio with Luther Vandross and and people like that. Some you know like grown-up men singing these songs with these baritone voices and everything and you know big tenor voices and then suddenly you got jason singing like you know the kid next door you know mm-hmm. it, it it didn't really fit in with their format that's not what the listeners for those stations were tuning in to hear so um i can understand it was kind of a, a you know at odds with itself Hopping out for a quick second to remind you to join my community on Patreon. Just go to theoriginaldoll.com. In there, you'll actually find some bonus information, bonus content, where I kind of deep dive and I give my opinion on so many of these songs, and we go further into chart success, radio success, and more. So be sure to find it, theoriginaldoll.com. And don't forget, rate and review this, and make sure you follow it, because these episodes come out as quickly as we can. Now back to the show. So when you talk to... Her, David, 
like when you have this conversation, do you say keep the soul the same when you do Britney's? Like, did they have carte blanche? Do they have the ability to do whatever with it? Or were you like, this is kind of the vibe or the mood we're going for? I would have given them um, pretty strict instructions on that, that, you know, to keep it, you know, um, to keep it similar. I mean, the, you know, I said, just do your thing with it, but I want all the main elements to be there. You know, the key, the keyboard hook, the, you know, and, you know, make the choruses big and everything and do what you want, got to do and make it dynamic. But um, basically I want the vibe of the thing and, Musically, for it, I don't want you to reinvent it. There'll come a day when the world starts turning and stars will fall from the sky. You knew the original, it somehow connected. You know what I mean? You were familiar enough to go, okay, let's try this, let's send this over. What do you think you, as her AR guy, as the architect, as the engineer putting together this debut album, what do you think? this song gave you to help you continue to work with Britney to keep developing this artist. What did this song give you that, you know, let's just giving her studio time to record this. You know what I mean? It wasn't just like, eh, we're good. Just pass that. This was actually going to be recorded. What did this give you as her and our guy for the development of this album? That's a good question because I don't consider this song to be, to be a song that really changed any major directions for her or really informed me in, of anything that I wasn't really aware of. I knew she could sing, you know, the hell out of a song like this. That that so that didn't surprise me. You know, for instance, when I heard Sometimes for the first time when when I was in, you know, Sweden, when I heard Britney putting a vocal on that, I thought, okay, that's a hit record. Totally different from Baby One More Time, but that's a hit record. That's the other side. The, Baby One More Time was the one side. Britney, and then sometimes was the other side, the sweet side. And I felt that um, I'll never stop loving you. Sort of fell a little bit into that, into that um, sweet side, you know, of Britney. Obviously, it wasn't a baby one more time type mm. of track. So I fell into that. So it it worked, um, but it never quite sounded like a like a smash hit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, as as a song to begin with, I didn't think it did. I, but I think it helped keep establishing her uh, in that way that she can sing those soulful, slow, you know, slow mid-tempos, you know, like like uh, sometimes, and I'll never stop loving you. I think it it reinforced that she could do that. So I think it was really helpful for her. But uh, it wasn't a game changer, let's put it that way. There you go. Now, everyone, have no fear. We have more with Steve coming up because, like I said, we go through pretty much every single song. So... Be prepared and go back through the other ones. And we have stories about Taylor Swift, stories about some productions that didn't make the albums. So many great things. But also we get to hear about production side. And that's what many of you said about the songwriting and production. How does this song benefit an album? So on and so forth. And Steve has been kind enough to spend, I mean, we're talking hundreds of hours at this point in person, not in person, like a lot of time. So this this is what makes you, your you know your thing so different because you are going after that you know you're going after the um the writers and the producers and the and just the process of making records and uh, what inspires people to make records or what you know incentivizes people and you know and and you start, you like to get in the nitty gritty of it but but for it still to be entertaining um mm-hmm. I don't think we've ever spoken about one gossipy thing. You know, Mm-mm. we still we stay away from that, and it's something that I don't want to really get into. 
but the um you know we talk about the, the process of making the music and uh, and and working with an artist and i think that, that that's what makes your show great thank you i appreciate it guests like you make the show great so thank you so much for being here and everyone make sure you subscribe so you get these episodes because steve and i have been working overtime so it's not as easy as it's going to be one episode out on a specific day we are getting these episodes out as soon as i can get them edited make sure we have all the publishing correct but also making sure that we have everything in the best quality that we have. So thank you so much for helping out. It's my pleasure, James. All right, everyone. This is James Rodriguez, the original doll. I'll see you on the flip side. And don't forget, Britney Spears also covered The Beat Goes On. And I was able to send some questions to Dean Honer of All Seeing Eye, who were some of the co-producers on that cover. Check it out. And don't forget to rate and review and tell friends about this. Go back through the previous episodes. And if you have a favorite songwriter, producer, song, Go to our website, theoriginaldial.com, scroll down and leave a letter of love that I can read to a possible future guest. And join my community on Patreon, theoriginaldial.com. My name is James Rodriguez. I'll see you on the flip side.